The Free For All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, nice to say good morning to Mark Warner, international trade lawyer. Tamara Cherry is with Pickup Communications, also the author of the book The Trauma Beat. And Lindsay Broadhead is back now, not necessarily in her capacity, but now with a new title, Chief of Communications for the City of Toronto. That must be a a fun change, Lindsay Broadhead. It has been probably the most wild few months of my career. It's been amazing. Okay. Well, we're glad you can still do roundtables, and I guess from time to time you may have to recuse, but uh, let's dig into things. Doug Ford apparently set to reverse himself on the dissolution of Peel Region. And actually, Lindsay, I'll start with you since you're you know, in an administration, a municipal administration. This verges on a process story, but for about a million people, it is supremely important. Yeah, supremely important. And the, look, the data that um, Mayor Brown came out with is is real. Those are real tax dollars. So I wonder if this is a case of, you know, maybe sometimes two things can be true at the same time. Maybe um, peeling apart peel um, is needed, but maybe it doesn't need to happen overnight in quite a, such a dramatic way um, that would impact taxpayers. So maybe there's a way to do this incrementally uh, so that they can still get to their goals, um, but not have that dramatic, dramatic hit on the taxpayer. Um, But they need to get their numbers right. It looks like the, the numbers are still a bit of a mystery to many. Yeah, Mark Warner, it just seems like an unwieldy arrangement as it exists, that you're running a city, but then you got to go to this regional meeting in order to figure out how your three cities are going to interact. Surely there's a way for bureaucrats to get this right without us having to have two levels of administration. Um, probably. I think it's true. But I, I don't think these, the, the structure exists because of bureaucrats. It exists because of politicians who tell bureaucrats what to do. So the thing I always want to come back to with you guys, but... Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think it made sense at some point. It may be appeal doesn't make sense because of the growth rates and the differences in, in the various parts of it. I just don't know how you you take apart all the different services, you know, garbage and police. And I mean, do you leave that in one place? And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to think of how you would do that if you didn't have some sort of common body to to run, run that, uh, to govern that. You know, would you want to have a police services board? Uh, who would then be managing that would they each have their own police uh you know whatever services so it's comp it is a really deceptively complicated question i don't i've never really dug into it enough to have a to say i have a view one way or the other on it i, I just understand that it is a, a tremendously complex question um, I'm not sure that there's an easy answer to it. Yeah, Tamara, I have to think there is a, a business model for this. Like maybe Mississauga runs all the services and the other people pay for them on a you know service base. I think that there is absolutely a way for it to happen. But the absolutely bonkers thing about all of this, and Lindsay, Lindsay sort of alluded to it a moment ago, is that it, they basically wanted it to happen overnight. We're talking about the dissolution of Peel Region as of January 1st, 2025. That's in a year and like three weeks from now. I was having a conversation with somebody fairly recently about the conversations that are happening around, you know, how will law enforcement be dealt with? Like, how will Peel Region or Peel Regional Police be split up into jurisdictions? And it was basically like, we don't know what the hell we're going to do about this. Like, this is supposed to be in a year. How like, how many consultants are we going to have to bring in? How much money are we going to have to pay? Like, it was absolutely bonkers. So I wouldn't be surprised if 
Doug Ford breaks his deathbed promise to uh, the late mayor, uh, Hazel McCallion, um, or if he just says, look, we realize now that there's a lot of moving parts that we're not going to be able to deal with in the span of a year. So I'm putting this on pause and ordering X number of consultants to be hired to figure out how what this would even look like, which is something they should have done a long time ago. Okay, so speaking of Hazel McCallion's deathbed, one of the things I found in some coverage this morning was Doug Ford gloating, apparently, about the fact that he visited her more than Bonnie Crombie. It, it's starting to look like it's personal. Let's listen in on Doug Ford speaking yesterday at Queen's Park. Their leader was too busy flying around in the private jet of her buddy, the developer that everyone knows who this developer is and is going to come back to haunt her. Flying around in the private jet, going to her $5 million estate in the Hamptons. She's out of touch with the average person. Okay, Tamara, I can hear you oh. in the background, so I'll start with you on this one. Um, it should be noted uh, that um, uh, Bonnie Crombie has called the Premier lame in this mm. latest salvo. How, like, where does he even get off saying this stuff? Like, I, honest, to, like, does he not flinch when he says this stuff? Or does he feel, you know, his lunch sort of coming up the back of his throat as he's saying it? Because that can't be comfortable to say, considering what everything is found about Doug Ford and his government's links to developers and trips to Las Vegas and all of these things. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I suppose that there's some... There's some poll that says that if you put that in people's ears, then then they'll think that more so about Bonnie Crombie. But even if all that is true about Bonnie Crombie, I find it very rich to hear it coming from the mouth of Doug Ford. Well, Lindsay Broadhead, maybe this is proof positive of the assertion that most people identify as middle class. And so Doug Ford thinks that he's just a regular guy, even though he was born a millionaire. Right. Well, the election battle has begun. That yeah, I think exactly anything, that moment just drew that uh, that moment in the sand. So it's begun. Um, I don't know. Like we, there's been so many stories over the last few years around politicians or people in power who have a lot of wealth, and I'm not sure if it matters or if it. Um, really changes the way that the general member of the public votes. I think when people take advantage of their wealth um, uh, or there's some sort of inequity in their decision making, then then that matters more so. Um, but absolutely, I mean, the Ford team is clearly trying to make kinks in Crombie's team's armor so that she has less weaponry to throw back at him. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. But, you know, counsel to Crombie or anyone receiving those kind of critiques would be make it a one day story. Don't give it any energy because his clip that he just played you know, it resonates for itself. Yeah, Mark Warner, it is interesting how a line of attack in politics is often what somebody's worth. And people call Justin Trudeau a trust fund baby when actually Pierre Polyev's worth more than he is. Yeah, I, I don't agree with you on this. I never have. I, I do think people, and I think this is one of the reasons that people like um, um, like Doug Ford are successful, is I think people can distinguish John between, in the case of John Tory being the son of a, uh, lawyers to the richest uh, family in the country, longtime lawyers to the richest family in the country, and some guy who inherited money from his father who had a company that made signs. And I get it, the chattering classes in Canada don't believe that that's a distinction that people can make. I think people do make it. I think taxi drivers I talk to understand that distinction. I think common people, real people, do understand that distinction. I think people do understand a different distinction because some guy's got a 
a place in Muskoka. And when you say the Hamptons, I, I get, I guess people from a certain background who, you know, write in the Globe and Mail and had drink their Tourette's or or whatever it is, uh, think that uh, that's a distinction that people don't understand. I think they do. And I think that's part of why the, the stuff never lands squarely on the Fords. As for the, um, scandal business in terms of the developers you know it's it's an odd kind of a thing to do it seems to me um point to make given um the scandals that he's had uh, around uh, developers but again the, the scandals around developers with ford at least so far as i can see aren't direct to him as opposed to this thing which is um someone driving around in a you know flying around in somebody's airplane and that seems a little bit different to me and i think they may actually this might actually land they were at his daughter's wedding, though. He's 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 faulting yeah. her for for being buddies with a developer, like the, like he. Is, yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll see. yeah. We'll see where yeah. we'll see where we'll see where it goes. I I I just I think people have tried to do this with the Fords over the years, and it frustrates people to no end that it doesn't stick with them. But I think the reason it doesn't stick is that their wealth seems a little bit more common than let's say adjusted like, like for instance the, the son of a school teacher like i'm no friend of pierre probably yeah don't get me wrong i before people start tweeting about me all day about that because you know I just, i'm not but i do think there's a difference between some guy you know who is a son of school teachers who basically um you know gets in politics right out of school and makes a you know the canadian cabinet minister's salary saves it invests it does whatever and makes some money as a guy who inherits a pile of money and at least a lot of us or some of us actually think probably has inherited a lot more than what he's publicly disclosed because it doesn't make any sense. But that's another drama I bang on um, in the case of Pierre uh, Justin Trudeau. So I, I you but know, he was that, a school teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a school teacher because daddy left him a pile of money. We don't know where that money mm-hmm. is. Yeah, all right. Dad left him. Uh, not him, actually. Dad yeah, left well, seven million on his bucks. Behalf. But anyway, well, you know what? He's never actually said that publicly. There's one Canadian reporter, a guy well, called Glenn McGregor. That's what I got from Mark Malone. Okay, that's nice, but why don't why don't we see it publicly as opposed to having reporters testify on his behalf? That that's what I what's missing in the U.S. We know this. We wouldn't have reporters getting up in the morning and say, "Well, I know this." No, he's never. What he said publicly is what I've just said. Okay, and for the record, I hate Gord Straminer. Okay, <laughs> there is apparently overwhelming evidence that social media is linked to bad habits in children. Uh, Lindsay Broadhead, I'll start with you on this one. Um, this is, I think, genie out of the bottle. I don't think kids are ever going to change. And I was saying earlier in the show, it's kind of a Marshall McLuhan argument. Uh, it's not just the content of the social media. It's how you use social media that probably leads to all kinds. Uh, it's almost a rewiring of the brain. Yeah. And, and and this isn't just kids, you know, like I more and more um, friends are telling me they have to cut themselves off. It's not like they're opting out, but they have to cut themselves off from certain social media channels because of um, the addictive nature to it or because of the toxicity of it. Um, there's endless studies and groups trying to unpack this right now and figure out how we uh, remove the hate or at least diminish the hate. Um, we're watching sports now where um, gambling is quite prevalent in all the ads um, and it's being showcased. You know, there's kids on the couch watching that hockey game, that basketball game. So, of course, this is happening. Um, and when we just went through a number of years where online learning has increased, the distraction is right there and prevalent. So, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head, though, John, it's if this is the status quo, what do we do with it? And how do we navigate it rather than simply um, 
policing it or saying it has to go, critiquing it? How do we actually um, channel it in a way that is more beneficial to our kids Okay, uh, focuses in on learning? Tamara Cherry, last thoughts on this one. Well, one thing I found sort of promising, I mean, is that that, you know, positive social media content can actually have a positive impact on kids. So maybe there's a way that we can undo or at least interrupt this so-called vicious cycle that the researchers refer to of harmful content being fed through algorithms to, to teens. And I don't know, maybe that's where governments can step in and regulate how much negative content is allowed versus how much positive content is allowed. I don't know. I just hope that somebody does something because these social media companies being left to run amok is is unhealthy for everybody. Thanks to y'all. Good to have you. Mark Warner, Tamara Cherry and Lindsay Broadhead. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.